Just before the episode, I would like to thank all our Patreon members. You guys, the support means the world to me and helps keep this podcast going. And if you haven't signed up for Patreon yet, just so you know, Lindsay from formerly 33% Pulp and I cover a lot of different true crime and history media like The Keepers and the Paradise Lost series, as well as covering some topics that you guys probably wouldn't hear about otherwise. You know, we've covered the I Knew of Japan. We've covered Bernard Pernat, lots of different cases, and as well as some surprise and different kinds of content, such as crazy sci-fi movies comes up as well. So love if you would check it out. Thank you guys for all the support and allowing me to keep doing this for the past few years. So thank you. And now on to the episode. Welcome back to the Cult of Domesticity. I'm here with Scott of the Many, which is now your official title. Scott of the Many, Lord of uh, something. It should be Lord of something. The cows? Lord of the true crime. <laughs> Lord of the true crime. By the way, fun fact, I read this this week. Of Americans age 11 to 24, 33% have never seen a cow. Really? A third of American kids or young adults, 11 to 24, have never seen a cow. Really? You mean they never drove down the freeway and be like, cow, cow. No, you have to say. But I it. guess if you if you grow up in New York or L.A., that makes sense. Not gonna see many cows. It's just a Midwest thing. You see cows all the time. Yes. Anyway, that's your fun factoid from the Scott of many Lord of the Cows. I like that. We'll get you a cow crown. <laughs> anyway, thank you for having me back. I'm looking forward to story time. We're back in the Soviet Union too. Of course we are. <laughs> Such a depressing, you know, very happy. It's like Disneyland. Very happy place. Nothing ever bad happened. Well, you missed it. The, la- the last one I recorded, I did Ukraine again, and I realized, I was like, I should have saved it for Scott. You, Yeah, yeah, because the last time we had, like, the worst genocide, you can imagine, from your worst nightmare. Um, and now, we get more happy, happy war, Soviet war stuff, right? Yes, we're going to talk about World War II, which is my least favorite war. I know it is. I like World War II as well, but... It is, um, we can agree for sure it's overrated in terms of historical attention. I can't stand any more Hitler documentaries. Yes. There was a time when the History Channel was wall-to-wall, Adolf Hitler's mental drug use. Now, fortunately, it's just ancient aliens, which is much, much better. I was sick once, and I was watching the History Channel, and I figured out they do a three-episode loop. So in the morning, they'll have three episodes, and then like in the afternoon, when people come back from like work and school, they have a diff- like the same three episodes. But it was like cults the manson crimes and then nazis and i was like this this is a lot (laughs) but this is actually kind of good we're gonna talk about the night witches have you heard of them before i have not i don't believe so this is a female battalion regiment of bomber pilots oh really okay not what i was picturing no we'll get to why they were called witches and it's not it's only slightly sexist for the 40s (laughs) Slightly sexist for the 40s. What's what's that mean? That means extraordinarily sexist, right? Oh, it's still sexist as hell, but it's okay. less sexist because for them. Okay. So there actually was no formal restrictions banning women from combat roles. Not in the Soviet Union. Not in the Soviet Union, yeah, during World War II. But their applications tended to be blocked. They were put somewhere else. But Major Marina Razasova used her position and personal contacts with Stalin Good old Stalin. Personal contacts with Stalin. Okay. I I don't know how she was alive this long, but 
uh, to convince him to form some combat regiments of women. So there's a bunch of others. There's some really good movies. Um, I think they were debating about actually making a movie about the Night Witches soon, but I probably COVID happened and who knows where that is. He decided on October 8th, 1941, to issue an order to deploy three regiments of female pilots, which, hey, they're doing better than other places. Good for them. That's true. Now, a shortage of manpower could have something to do with that, but it is still progressive, if not by necessity. Yeah. Yeah. The Soviet Union was slightly more equal in gender rights in some regards, which is weird to wrap your head around some ways because they were like, well, we need this and everyone needs to contribute. So. Right. True. Radio Moscow uh, announced to the country that they were seeking women who wanted to be combat pilots just like the men. And the Night Witches are technically the 588th Night Bomber Regiment. And that formed in 1942, so the next year. And they're also known as the 46th Guards Night Bomber Aviation Regiment. It is the only regiment of the Soviet Air Force made up of completely female aviators only. So they were sprinkled in elsewhere as well, but this is the only female, like, completely female one. They aged between 17 to 26, and they began to train in the town of Engels, because, you know, you got to have named after your heroes, Marks <laughs> and Engels. Engels is underrated for, Mar we always hear about Marks, we never hear about Engels. And they were greeted by Radisova, and she had a very no-nonsense military manner. They got size 42 boots, ill-fitted military uniforms made for male soldiers, and their, all their hair was cut short. Size 42 in European size, right? So that's, mm -hmm. what is that? I can't remember. That's like my size. I think I'm a 42. They The sexism kind of happens with what they get, like the supplies they get as well, and their, um, <laughs> their planes. So one pilot would recall later, quote, we didn't recognize ourselves in the mirror. We saw boys there, end quote. The Russians nicknamed them Stalin's Hawk, but the Germans gave them the name we know them by, the Nighthawks. And we'll get into them why. Why was that a little bit later? But they were given wooden canvas, <gasps> Russian words, <laughs> Polarkov, U-2 biplanes. And so this is a 1928 design. So think about that. We're in 43. <laughs> Right. And they're like, here you go. Not cutting edge. Yeah. No. Um, you know, and it's mainly used for training and for crop dusting. Oh, also that. Yeah. Yeah. It had, uh, they had a special ULN, uh, U2LNB version, which was the sort they used for night harassment missions. And it is the most produced wood frame biplane in aviation history. Really? So. Use that for your trivia next trivia day. <laughs> the planes could carry two bombs at a time, so a lot less than some other, more like other Western European planes and some of even the Soviet planes. And they pretty much had to do eight or more missions a night. So extremely dangerous. It's takeoff and landing eight times? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But because of the plane's primitive construction, it's hard to spot the Night Witch's planes on radar, which is a benefit for them, so it's easier to sneak up on it. It was obsolete and slow, but the pilots were like, okay, it is very maneuverable, so that'll give us more benefit. And the maximum of speed was lower than the stall speed of both the Messerschmitt BF-109 and the Focke-Wulf VW-190, which makes them really hard to shoot down for German pilots. In fact, the German military, so the Nazis, responded to this crisis of basically getting bombed by women and like not being able to shoot them down by 
automatically issuing the Iron Cross medal to any German who is able to shoot one of the night witches down. Wow. Yeah, you don't figure that um, playing too well into Hitler's psyche. No, no, Love no. to be in that meeting. Like, you guys are basically literally getting beaten by <laughs> Yeah, and the fact that, you like, Iron Cross wasn't easy to get. No, no. That was the highest uh, military award, I think. Yeah, I do know, what is it, uh, after the war, like, a lot of men got rid of theirs because it was, like, a very negative symbol. Right. But there was one ace fighter... Josef Koshak, uh, who grounded the regiment for an entire night, actually, because he managed to shoot down three or four planes. And this is July 31st or August 1st, that whole night, 1943. So that's the only time. He's the only one. He was really good at getting them. But you have to remember, parachutes weren't mandatory or carried these planes until 1944. And if they had them, I can't imagine that they were all right. And they're not like the top regiment either so they're not gonna get that hand me down hand me down parachutes yeah probably not great pull the string and something's gonna come out maybe yeah but they the one thing was their motors were extremely noisy that's why they only operated at night because okay. it gave them some more hover the soviet air force gave them the task of harassment bombing their goal was to under undermine the enemy's morale and fighting ability so their job was just to piss off the germans yeah Aggravate them. Mm-hmm. They were also they also earned precision bombing missions against the army. So I was like, hey, look it, they weren't just giving shitty jobs, right? So how did they get their name? I've said it a couple times. The silent bombers, like, so they would turn off the engine and just coast at points, and as they sailed over, they would make a light whooshing sound. So the soldiers referred to them as Notch and Hexen. Or night witches. That's pretty. Not only is that freaky, but not that's kind of dangerous because your engine has to start back up again, and then you have to be at a speed, you know, that's above stall speed. I would guess. Or even if they just hovered above stall speed, it would just it would make that noise because they had a, it, they have a lower stall speed. Right. I don't. I didn't see where they didn't say how low it was, but I think it was like pretty low. So they could just like coast a little bit and kick it back on once they got to a certain point. Gotta hope that your uh, engine goes back on then. Yeah. The pilots of the Night Witches were like, fuck yeah, this is our name now. (laughs) They loved (laughs) it. They embraced it. Yeah. It's kind of a cool name. Yeah. There were even rumors going around the Germans that the Soviets gave the women pills and treatment that gave them the night vision of cats. That's what the the uh, Nazis were saying. Yeah, the Nazis were so freaked out by them. They're like, these women are like so precise, so good. They must be giving them supplements. They have the vision of cats at night. And I'm like, that's amazing oh. though, because it's the foremost. The Nazi f- is the foremost military force in the world, and they're resorted to basically like 13th century superstition to explain mm-hmm. how these women are able to beat them. I mean, the Nazis love a good superstition. That's true. If if we know one thing about the Nazis, yeah, they don't mind a good uh, they don't mind a good séance or so. Yeah. So there was one way they would fly where it was groups of 3, two planes would be a decoy. So they fly off in one way, drawing searchlights, gunfire, another because you know they can like do all these cool tricks and all that because their planes are so light the third pilot would fly off into the darkness towards the actual target and drop the bomb sneaky yeah yeah and they would keep like so then they would swap out so the one would drop their bomb and meet up with the other two and they'd slip out and they would keep doing it till all the all of them had dropped their bomb the most one of the most famous of the night witches oh the first name's gonna get me Nadasheda Popov flew 852 missions. She earned multiple medals, 
titled The Hero of the Soviet Union. And I mean, a lot of these, a lot of the women have been interviewed, so you can find quotes from, but she's in Albert Axel's book of Greatest uh, greatest Russian War Stories, 1941 to 45. And she said, quote, like I'm responding to the German talking about like the cat eyes and like their witchcraft skill. This is nonsense. Of This was nonsense, of course. What we did have were clever, educated, very talented girls, end quote. So like, She's like, we were very capable women. We're educated. We're very She talented. did not say they could see at night. No, they don't have cat vision. Okay. Unfortunately. But like I said, they were not welcomed into the military with open arms. Uh, the male counterparts would treat them as inferior, lack with lack of respect. As we often know, when women go into heavily male-dominated fields, it's just you're treated horribly. They were given, like I said, hand-me-down uniforms, oversized shoes, from the men, rudimentary tools, like rulers, flashlights, pencils, anything that was like luxury, the male soldiers received, you know, uh, they got like the male soldiers would get like radar, guns, radio, these women didn't have it. And they still were hella successful. Yeah. It actually sounds fun. I mean, it's dangerous because you're probably going to die at any moment. Eight missions a night, but they can't see each other. They're flying around up there in the dark. They obviously have no lights on or anything, but... They, they somehow know what they're doing amongst one another. It actually sounds a little bit like a good time until you get shot down. I will say I did discover there's a video game about like with the Night Witches. Uh, yes. So how successful were they in not getting shot down compared to other? I have that at the end. I do have that. So even as they're successful, many of the Soviet military find it hilarious to have the idea of women flying in combat. So they're doing a great job and guys are like women pilots and why do they have to have the bad planes again because they're the women yeah basically okay also at this point we know that like the soviets aren't doing great on so many levels like they had tanks that they could get people to like pick up so i think it's really they could produce these planes and they were like we're gonna give the guys the better like the actual metal planes this was 45 right yeah yeah they start in 42 and they go fly to the end of the war so yeah but the women were like you know what fuck it we're female fighter pilots we're doing great they painted their lips with uh navigational pencils draw drew flowers on the side of their aircraft they're like we're gonna embrace it we're awesome so let's just go over like the battles they fought in because there are some books on them but it's still i think because it's soviet world war ii history and the (laughs) the archives in the soviet union have only been open since the fall they, they, I know when I was in grad school, they talked to, like, so I graduated in 2017. They started, talked about how they were starting to close again. And even then, it's the question of can you get documentation? And they weren't they super know. complete, yeah, to begin with. Mm-hmm. And it's the fact that, did they even want to record this? So a lot of, yes, yeah, it's, it's it's a difficult thing. So I said they were formed in 1942, so it June 12th, the regiment really got a baptism by fire on the southern front with bombings across the river Mayas in uh, the Mayas, Servan, Dons, and Don rivers, as well as the Sal steppes in Stravropol suburbs. So they're, I mean, they're right away front line. They like, it's not even like they're keeping them back or like putting them to safer areas to annoy the Nazis, which I believe at this point, like, the Nazis had made their way, like, almost to Moscow, and, like, they were pretty far into the country. Yeah. Between August and December 42, they fought in the Battle of the Caucasus. They defended the city of Vodokrasov, and, you know, they. Bo- it's well known that they bombed enemy equipment and troops in Durga, 
Mozkov and <laughs> I love when you can tell I'm like it's gonna be hard to Provkovada uh, now. The the Italian fingers might help. Use a. <laughs> I don't know what a Russian finger is. I <laughs> like. I don't know if you, you a Russian finger sounds like a a bad. Well, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> vodka i just i haven't been drinking vodka that's the problem i'd be more confident we know january the next year they assisted breaking through enemy lines on the tirakov river as well as working on offensive operations against ground troops on the kurban river valley and stravropol so like they're moving all around the coast like we see them doing work like it wasn't like this was all talk these women legitimately were fighting the nazis constantly between March and September 43, they assisted the breakthrough of the Kuban brighe- Bridgehead and the liberation of Norovskiv. April and ju- through April through July, they participated in the uh, campaign over the Kuban in November to November 43 to May 44. So big portion. I think that's about six-ish months almost. They provided air support for the troops on the Kirchen Elgin operation and this is part of the crimean offensive and defending the city of sefstrathpol june and july of 44 they bombed enemy fortifications along the provia river and they helped take control of baraskov chervin minsk Provig in belarusia so like they're moving up and down that that line just helping out where they can. He's trying to hold the Germans back. I wonder if it was a particularly a hard task they would send the women because they were like scared. Well, I mean, not they weren't doing super well. The rest of Russia or Soviet Union was not doing well, obviously. No, I mean, Stalin during the war is a whole lot because they think he had like, I think, bipolar or something. So he was having like episodes during this as well. Yeah, he disappeared for weeks. And as as they, as the Nazis were closing in on Moscow and then down to Stalingrad, and I can't remember when, but finally he comes back out and says, yeah, we should probably defend the, the remaining cities. So it's a leaderless, broke nation that's overextended and is losing the war. And amidst that, this would make a great movie. You have these female fighter pilots, you know, trying to defend successfully, it sounds like, for their part. Yeah, they're, it, I think it has off the... We can cast this one too. Wilford Bremley can play a female Wilford pilot. Bremley's going to be in everything. I'll, I'll tell you at the end, there, there have been some, like, they have been mentioned and stuff. It's not like, it's completely unknown, but it's just... I think outside of the Soviet Union and like that region. So August 44, they they work in operations over Poland to expel the Russians from, or the to expel the Germans from Anglosov, Warsaw, Olenska. In January of 45, they participate in the East Prussian offensive. In March of 45, they participate in the offensive over Gnienga and Gdansk. Between April and May, they are in the Vistula Order offense and they are finally disbanded at the end of October 1945 and you know they I mean from they only were there for like three years but the impact they had is you know three that's a good chunk of the war still yeah I think people always thought World War II was longer and it's not no it's 41 or what 41 to 46 technically they or is it 39 I thought it was 38 because we it's the invasion of Poland. It, it would be Hitler's first invasion, yeah, to... 39. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, it's six years, but the dam. I mean, it's a, I'm not minimizing it. It's a lot of damage in six years, but... So, for the whole regiment, there were 261 people. They had to fly at least 10 to 15 missions a night. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. So, like, eight, like, eight is a light night, you know? <laughs> um, Popov, the commander in the regiment, reported at the end that 
like by the time they got back, their aircraft were normally full of holes. Again, these are not really metal aircrafts. Right. <laughs> you have to remember that. So Popov actually enrolled in the army when she was 19. I feel like there's a movie about her. And she wanted to take vengeance on the Germans because they had killed her brother, seized her house, destroyed Shabanovka, uh, the town where she came from. She would fly 852 missions, shot down several times. So they're shot down. Uh, she was interviewed in 2010 and said, quote, we bombed, we killed. It was all part of a war. We had an enemy in front of us and we had to prove that we were stronger and more prepared, end quote. You know, it was, it's been roughly said they had 24,000 sorties in combat, mainly at night. So like, like flying sequences and stuff. Quote, we flew in sequences one after another and during the night we never had we never let them rest. The Germans made up stories. They spread rumors that we had been injected with some unknown chemicals that enabled us to see clear so clearly at night. This is nonsense, of course. We did have clever, educated, very talented girls, unquote. So yeah, like you see her acknowledging it like they do these sequences, all these things. We know that they dropped approximately three thousand tons of bombs. That's a lot of tons. So of these sorties, the Battle of the Caucasus, they had 2,920 sorties. In Kuban, Taman, and Norovsky, they had 423 sorties. In the Crimean Offensive, they had 6,140 sorties. The Belarusian Offensive, they had 400. Poland Offensive, they had 5,421. The German Offensive, they had 2,000. So That's a lot. Yeah. So, like, that's the combat mission of an individual aircraft. So that's how many times that individual aircraft went out, like, total for all of them. That's insane. And then nothing like takeoff and landing has to go wrong either, you know. Not to mention people shooting at you. Yeah, they said there's holes in the plane when they come back. So they had a total of 28,676 flight hours. They also dropped over 200 and or 26,000 incendiary shells, which damaged or completely destroyed 17 river crossings, 9 railways, 2 railway stations, 26 warehouses, 12 fuel depots, 176 armored cars, 86 firing points and 11 searchlights. So they did work. When they went out, they like, they did like, took on the Nazis full force. They also performed 155 supply drops of food and ammunition to Soviet forces. So they're not just bombing to bomb for bomb's sake. Um, so we do have at the end, like kind of dealing with after the war, we know that senior engineer Sofia Orevskov was actually sentenced to death by a military tribunal in 42, but, you know, there's not a... I couldn't find information on why, but she was later acquitted after her sentence was suspended and they reinstated her, so she did something. I'm guessing that's how, like, something happened at the beginning. It was very... What year? 42. 42, she was convicted of what? She was sentenced to death. There, like, I don't... I couldn't find out why, but she was sentenced to death. She later gets back into her position, but... That's odd. I'm guessing she... Because it was so new, she probably disobeyed an order or something. And they realized because it was so new at that point. So they sentenced her to death. And then said, oh, never mind. You're fine. It's the Soviet Union. (laughs) That's true. That's a good point. That's not impossible. Yeah. We do know that mechanics Reza and Reza Kartonovanov and Tamara Flovla were sentenced to 10 years imprisonment for dismantling a flare which was uh, used by navigators to illuminate targets and using small silk parachutes to sew undergarments. Ten years in prison. Ten years in prison, but they were retrained as navigators. So I think because they needed so many people, it's hard to put people in prison. Yeah. Like, kind of need you. So they're retrained as navigators 
Froblau was killed in action 43, so they were pulling people. Overall, throughout the war, they lost 32 pilots. Remember, 261 people, they only lost 32. Right. 11%, something like that. Yeah, including Colonel Rasa, Raskolova. When she was sent to the front line, She when she was died, she actually got the first state funeral of World War II. Really? And her... And her ashes are buried at the Kremlin. We know that 32 pilots, including Pavlova, were awarded the prestigious title of Hero of the Soviet Union. Um, Women also received, and like you can see their names on the Wikipedia page, they do have them. There's also Heroes of the Russian Federation and the Heroes of Kazakhstan. So like they were recognized in some regards for their work. Yeah. They were excluded from the Victory Day Parade in Moscow. Why? Because their subpar planes were deemed too slow. For the parade. Well, like the work that, oh, the planes were, they, it wasn't that hard. You know, it's like minimizing their. Oh. Oh, so they weren't, <laughs> I was imagining like the parade would be behind schedule because the planes are trying to keep up with the rest of the parade. This is where they would like bring them, like they would have them like on trucks. So they'd parade them through Red Square like we always see. So but, their yeah. accomplishments were minimized because the planes were slow. Yeah. Interesting logic. I don't try to figure out Soviet logic. No, that's true. We do have other women regiments. So there was three regiments, and one of those were theirs. There's also um, the 586 Fighter Aviation Regiment, which used IAC fighters, and the 587 Bomber Aviation Regiment, which used twin-engine PE-2 dive bombers. And we know that the later regiment actually would receive the Guards designation and reorganized as the 112th Gar- Guards Bomber Aviation Regiment. You know, they were all planned to be have women exclusively, but none really remained completely female because the 586 and the 588 had male mechanic. Oh. Yeah. Um, the 586 had, because no women had received training to work on the Yakolov Plyer, uh, planes before the war so it's like they had to have guys on there because like that but i'm still like that's still pretty impressive that you had three regiments this one's just the most well known i 86 commander major tamara alexandronova karzinova was replaced by a man major alexander alexander valisevich Grineve in october 1942 so like their commander then was a male the 587 7th Regiment was originally under the command of Marina Rasova, the one who actually got us these regiments. But when she died in 43, a male commanding officer, Major Valentin Velisevich Markov, replaced her. So they did initially have women leaders, but then afterwards they're like, uh, there's no one ranking high enough. So instead of promoting, they just put a man in charge. Yeah. Of course. So the 587th Petronov PE dive bombers actually required a tall person to operate the rear machine gun. But because the women who had been recruited weren't tall, they didn't get enough tall women. And if you think about it, it kind of makes sense because during like the years before you have World War One, which there was a bunch of food shortages. Russia had been having food issues before that. Then you have the Russian Civil War. Then you have the purges. And we know from the Holodomor episode, there was also food issues. So, like, it's hard to grow big and tall when you're starving. It is. And how tall is tall? How tall do the, the women have to be for the machine gun? They didn't say. I'm assuming probably closer to six foot. Yeah. Yeah, that's... Today, that's kind of rare, isn't it? I don't know. Let me quickly Google this plane. How tall are women? Ouch. I suppose generationally, like, supposedly we're, we're all getting taller over... 100-year periods. I mean, I am not. Um, operators. Oh, my God, there's a lot of operators. Nope, that's not what I was looking. I was trying to see. 
Because six not two would be tough. It. Five tens wouldn't be too tough. Yeah, I'm a, I, you know, I'm assuming you had to be closer to six foot. I don't think you had to be, but it would make sense if you like. They said you weren't tall enough. Because like five five is average. So if a bunch of people who are five like they couldn't get enough. But that was really where they had to have men joining the crews as like the tail gunner and the radio operator and the 580s uh, staff driver and searchlight operators were also male. So we see this amazing group of women coming over and taking charge and really pushing back the Nazis. Like I said, they dropped 3,000 tons of bombs. So that's the night witches. I don't know if you had any questions. I love the image of Hitler being driven crazy by women, defeating his forces. Yeah. And then Himmler comes up with this. Oh, yeah, they injected the... uh, I assume it was Himmler, just because I assume everything's Himmler. They inject dye to make them uh, see at night like cats. I could totally... Yeah, it would be so fascinating to just study that rumor. There are two books. I couldn't get them because they're both paperback. But there's The Night Witches, The Amazing Story of Russian Women Pilots in World War II. And that's by Bruce Miles. So that was published in 1990. And then Tonight We Fly, The Soviet Night Witches of World War II, which is published in 2017 by Claudia Hagen. Yeah, it was just kind of hard to get digital copies, which is how I normally do my research. So Yeah. But I I didn't want to miss it because I figured you would really enjoy this one because it's so fascinating to see women actively fighting in World War II because in the U.S., women haven't, they're not really in combat roles. No, there are no combat roles in World War II, are they? I mean, not overtly, certainly not entire regiments, and they're only involved in the military effort at all because the entire country is consumed with it. So they're back home, you know, in or their nurses. place. Right, or nurses. Yeah, nurses in the field, that's true. But I guess the Soviet Union out of necessity, but you make a good point that their society being uh, equal, you know, in that way, being uh, communistic, um, that's kind of the way they are anyway. So it's interesting that they have that. We have a set of prejudices that they don't have, and I'm sure they had others that we didn't have. But yeah, that's, uh, I'd never heard of it. And I didn't think, I'm not sure what I was imagining now. I can't remember when you said Night Witches. I was picturing a cult, I think. (laughs) So you did ask about films. Um, So, and I'm pulling this from Wikipedia because they normally have a good compilation if it's in media for at least historical items or people so in 1974 there was the soviet film only old men are going to battle and there were two night witches as love interests. uh 89 there's another soviet feature film called night witches in the sky and it actually had one of the members of the regiment act in the production in 2001 it's a uk russian co-production starting Starring Malcolm McDowell, Sophie Mikau, and Anna Friel. It was meant to be made, but they couldn't get backing, so they it was scrapped. <laughs> uh, in 2013, there were two different productions released. A short animated film called The Night Witch, which commemorated Paul Popov, uh, who had died that year. Um, and that was with the New York Times, The Lives They Lived issue. So that was part of a New York Times um, magazine uh, component. There was a Russian... St- TV series that same year called Night Swallows, and it was loosely based on the 588. And that same year, they announced that there was going to be a feature film written by Gregory Allen Howard and financed, interestingly, by the grandson of Boris Yeltsin. Really? Okay. I know. I saw that. I was like, hmm. But there have been no updates since. Uh, so no American films, no non any non-Russian feature film. Yes, but right in 2019, Heidi Joe Markle, who produced uh, Olympus Has Fallen. 
and all of the sequels, had actually been attached to a screenplay called The Night Witches, written by Stephen Prost. Um, and, you know, so there might be one coming out. Could be one still. Yeah, darn it. Yeah, most of those um, most of those die in Hollywood. But, yeah, that would be a really fascinating movie, especially if it were on the scale like... I don't think I saw Olympus has fallen, but it seemed really CGI special effects. That would be that'd be cool. It was on the 14th episode of season six of Drunk History. It was titled Behind Enemy Lines. Mm-hmm. Um, Emily Deschanel played Ra- Rasusolitha. Um, I'm trying to see what else. What else? Um, you know, there's some book, a lot of novels that deal with it. I saw that. Oh, it was in a Doctor Who episode. Audio drama episode, I should say. Oh, really? And yes, and it features the second Doctor. A video game. Uh, there was a D and D game. There was a D and D game. Yeah. A, a German game where the eyes glow yellow. I well, it's um, it was called Red Sisters Black Skies, an eighteen-player live-action role-playing game, run at the twenty seventeen phenomenal role-playing convention in Kanabara, and it was based on a book called night witches i swore i saw that there was like an actual like video game though if i find it i'll post it but yeah like there was because when i was looking through it like popped up it might not be on wikipedia but like yeah so like i mean it has been done in some capacity but i think i always love that like these women were just grilling to risk their lives in these shitty ass planes the story of the one woman who saw her brother murdered and lost her home and that would make a great you know obviously backstory of a world war ii movie and i love world war ii like like you said i feel like i know everything there is to know generally about the basics of world war ii and then the stuff still pops up i've never heard of you don't see that in any of the baseline you know documentaries about any part of world war ii if if I've seen it, I forgot about it. I don't, I don't think I've ever heard of it. Yeah, let me let me check her Wikipedia out because I feel like she. I feel like there is a movie about her life, but I feel like it might be. Oh, uh, they don't have legacy. Maybe Americans too have a problem with Russia or the Soviet Union being more advanced with women than we were. Oh yeah, we are way behind in women's rights. There's a protest going on in Poland right now for abortion rights. Um, I do know there's a movie. I'd have to ask. My one former professor, I think of a female sniper during World War II or something, like a female soldier. It might, I feel like it's her, though. So, the female but, sniper one, I might have seen. It's, it's in Russian. <laughs> I should mention, it's in Russian. Oh. Yeah. Okay. But that's it. Do you want to tell everyone where they can listen to you when you're not here? Which is sadly not going to continue. Yeah. We should do this more often, too. We'll come up with different stories. Agreed. <laughs> um, yes. Well, I, if I can remember the many, Frozen Truth, Status Pending with Heather Wright, uh, Find Jody, and Dead and Gone in Wyoming are my four podcasts. Just a light four. <laughs> right. I'm not adding any more. I wish I could consolidate them. Like I told you last time, an envious year show, you can just do it, and it's the same thing in a different way, and you can have fun with it, and it doesn't consume your life. And like Howard Hughes, and you don't go crazy. Because sometimes I go crazy. Halloween consumed my life just because I overcommitted episodes wise. Yes, which was very impressive. It was it was good, but I, I, I was I was wondering if you jumped into the deep end of the pool. <laughs> I love soundscaping, but doing seven episodes with several a week plus regular episodes plus working plus recording for Patreon. It was a lot. It was a commitment. That's only once a year. Yes, that's the only way. But I'll be back next week, sadly, not with Scott. Oh. But we'll be back. I'll come back.
anytime. Bye. Bye. Don't miss Sicity. We're available on all podcatchers. Remember to rate, review, subscribe to help spread the word or just force other people to listen to it. Our Facebook and Twitter are at domestic podcasts and our Instagram is at the cult of domesticity. We also have podcast merch at threadless uh, as well. If you want to support us financially or show some appreciation, we have a PayPal tip jar and a Patreon, which has some pretty great perks. Any topic suggestions, feel free to email us at domesticpodcasts at gmail.com. Remember to stay domestic and cult free. Mm-hmm.